Hello, everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from the Winnipeg Free Press. Together, we are Kenny and Rennie, and this is a late, late, late edition of the Kenny and Rennie show. After a Winnipeg Jets loss to the San Jose Sharks, I'm not going to like trot out the Winnipeg Jets lost to the last place team in the league. They're not last place anymore uh, after that victory, but uh, beyond that, um, the way that the San Jose Sharks have played as of late, they're not playing like a last place hockey team. And uh, the, the the way that they pressure, the way that they play, uh, how they open that game are not any of the earmarks that you would expect from uh, a last place hockey team for the most part. Uh, I mean, I know it's the NHL, but last place teams are quite often fairly incapable squads. This is not an incapable San Jose Sharks team. I'm not saying that uh, this is uh, this is an excuse for this situation. The Winnipeg Jets are a better team than the San Jose Sharks. And even though good teams have been falling as of late to the San Jose Sharks, it's a game you would expect the Winnipeg Jets team that had now, uh, what were we talking about last show, the Winnipeg Jets move into first place in the Central Division. Now it's time to kind of say, okay, now we earn staying there. And in the first opportunity for them to earn that, they lose that game uh the start of that game is not something that i think uh we should let go of i listen this is we just saw this last time lauren brossois played with the carolina hurricanes coming into town and absolutely steamrolling the jets and the jets somehow coming out up one nothing uh in that game uh, or sorry in that first period um i the the thing about these issues is if that's a one-off and it happens here or there um, it's not something that I would express concern about, right? This is now twice where this has happened in the last little while, right? The last time the Winnipeg Jets found a way to win the game and everyone kind of, you know, pats them on the back and talks about their survivability and good teams find a way to win games and all of these different kind of things. The fact of the matter is in this game, the same as it was in that other game, the Jets came out of this situation and it didn't kill them. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, whatever. You can take all those kind of things and put that in there. But the Jets could have been down 3 nothing in that first period, same as it was against the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, and that's my issue with that, right? Because what you saw here from the Jets was no pushback for a certain amount of time. Um, and they survive it because Lauren Brassois plays great against Carolina. He plays great in this game. We're going to have to talk about him because I thought this was a stellar performance by Lauren Brassois in this game. Um, but... I guess if we take a look at, at at the Jets and the things that there are need to be concerned about, a lot of times what we've seen from the Jets over the years, and we saw it last year, was them kind of starting to go to sleep and rely on certain things and you know get their way through it. I I I wouldn't want it to see, I wouldn't want it to to become a habit that the Winnipeg Jets start doing this where they just aren't showing up for the first part of the game. Uh, get away with it, fine. It doesn't look like a big deal, but that game against Carolina could have been lost in those first uh, 10, 15, 16 minutes of that game if Lauren Brossois doesn't do that thing. And it's not the reason that the Winnipeg Jets lost tonight, that first period, because again, they did survive it. Lauren Brossois allowed them to survive it. But we could be talking an entirely different game here. Same circumstance of what happened here, but if San Jose get two, maybe three to go there, it entirely changes the complexity of this game. And we're not talking about, you know, the 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 power play being the problem here we're not talking about all these other things that factor into it so i wanted to get that up there because this is twice now we've seen this with the winnipeg jets twice is not a pattern but 
that first period was the same first period for the most part, except for the pushback that you see around the nine minute mark or something. But it's it's the same situation. It's a carbon copy, one of the other, the Jets showing up, not ready to compete, another team entirely jumping all over them their goaltender bailing them out so it doesn't look that bad and we don't spend all our time talking about it but the jets can lose games with starts like that they've got away with it twice i know they don't win tonight but they got away with it in that first period eventually that's not going to happen they can't be making a habit of that uh other than that i mean we'll have to dive into the power play uh i think very much the same problems that we were talking about in the past really looked like they had been working in uh, in practice on creating a wrinkle where they would go over to Nick Ehlers and he'd try and do that one time that Kyle Connor is doing in that spot. But quite often what he was doing is he was trying to do a one-time slap pass to the slot for a redirect in front or even to the back door for a backdoor tap-in. Um, to me, it just looked like, like it's a great play if you pull it off. Uh, it just looked to me like they were married to it. And at some point, it's as simple in a game like that is get it to the front of the net and try and create some havoc. Gabe Velarde, I thought, was strong in that game. Uh, I would have liked to have seen the Jets get some pucks in there and see his ability to kind of like smash that puck in. I, I, I mean, I, I take a lot. This is this is another case of a Winnipeg Jets. This is the same old song and dance, a, a power play that's overpassing, overpassing, overpassing to the point that they're almost killing the penalty off themselves in a way that looks pretty because they possess the puck and they snap it around and all those kind of things. Uh, but in the end, it's just a lot of time that they're not getting the puck into a dangerous area, dangerous area and trying to capitalize on it. Uh, that's a very brief, uh, and I guess not that brief We're six minutes in here, but Kenny's ready to go here. Uh, we don't want, Oh, I wanted to do this before I brought Ken in. Um, uh, we know about uh, clearly about the technical issues that happened last show. Uh, we're going to get that fixed. Um, our live audience uh, deserved better than that, and our at-home audience deserved better than that. I will say this: the KNR Christmas party, Christmas slash holiday party slash December to remember slash December to dismember in my mind was a smashing success up until the point that we somehow smashed the broadcast apart. Uh, what a fun time. What a great opportunity to meet with all the people. I want to thank everyone who came out. That was great. I thought the food was amazing. I thought the beer was flowing. I think people had a really good time. Had we been able to deliver the product and our podcast in a manner that we should have been doing, that would have been a flawless night. So what I want to say is while Ken and I and our broadcast was far below the standard that you should be expecting from us, the standard set by the KNR community in that room on that night was absolutely top shelf. Uh, what a party. What a great time that was. I had such a good time. I want to thank you all. And I hope uh, we're going to make sure we get this done so that uh, in January, we've got another one coming up. We'd love to see everybody there all over again uh, because boy, oh boy, that was a fun time. And the KNR community hit one out of the park. Absolute grand slam. Even if the broadcast didn't reflect that, we're going to correct that. We'll get that going, everybody. Just want to say that. Now it's time to bring in the man with the best music in the business. Here comes Kenny.
Gotta say this, Kenny. Kim Sawchuk, who was at the party, says, thank you, guys. The tech issues are part of the charm. We get that, and we've joked about it in the past, but we do want to make sure uh, that people know uh, when we set an expectation of what we are going to deliver for our audience and we fail to do that, um, we take it seriously. Uh, and we want to make sure that at those Kenny and Rennie live events, that is, the, the crowd was boisterous. They were great. Uh, and because things working out, weren't working out, so well that boisterous nature kind of carried through not in you know not not in the i would say this we want that crowd rip roaring and loud and booing because of what we're saying and what we're delivering and them disagreeing with our takes and or agreeing or however we want to do it uh so while you're being kind kim saying thank you guys the tech issues are part of the charm we do realize that was unacceptable we're going to get that fixed and it's going to be uh it's going to be uh a, an event worth uh us being proud about putting on and one that we feel honors our audience the way that our our audience always and never fails to honor us. Uh, Ken, how are you doing here tonight, my friend? Uh, you can launch into the game. You can kind of take this in any direction you want. I will say this before we do get rolling. Uh, neither of us, once again, are dressed like Vittorio Rossi men. We'll get back to it. Uh, I definitely will be back to it on Saturday night when the Avalanche are in town. The Avalanche were back in first place in the Central Division uh, because that's a hockey night in Canada game. It's going to be a great one. I will be dressed to the nines in Vittorio clothing. Uh, and if you want to be dressed to the nines in Vittorio clothing, you know what to do. Head on down to Corden Avenue, walk in, loudly proclaim Kenny and Rennie sent you. Ask for Frankie and the boys, and they will do you upright. Ken, my friend, the floor is yours. The buffet is heated. The plates are even warmed up. <laughs> what do you got for us? Yeah, there's still a couple pieces of pizza left and everything at that uh, at the buffet table for sure. Yeah, I mean, interesting game. Uh, as you mentioned, peculiar start for the Jets and maybe it's some of it was you know new line combos and everything else but uh they were not they were skating in quicksand and their opponent was buzzing all around them brandon dillon said after the game to mike mcintyre that he felt like they had six skaters out there coming at them for for a good part of that first eight or nine or ten minutes when the shots were 12 or 13 to one for the sharks and Sure. I mean, credit to the Jets for getting that period stabilized and ending almost even in shots on goal. But I, I don't know. I mean, that that I understand that. Yes, no. You know, they weren't underestimating their opponent. Yes, the Sharks have been averaging five point two goals per game in the last five games, uh, and all that jazz. It just it just didn't seem like they were ready to roll. And and that that's something too. I, I'm with you. It's not a it's not a red flag yet but it's certainly i think the old yellow flag might show up there because uh, we know this is going to be a challenge for the winnipeg jets playing without kyle connor for what is likely six to eight weeks at least uh, you know depending on what the uh, what the the jets doctors and specialists said we'll find out when they see the way they saw kyle connor earlier today so We'll see what happens. Uh, the lines were a little bit discombobulated, even more so with the 11-7 and 7 scenario that was presented by the Jets tonight. I don't think either one of us loved that, and we'll we'll dive no. into it a little bit further as we move along here. Yeah, nor does NLCC, who says playing 11-7 and 7 on uh, D on the first game of the back-to-back -back is mind-boggling. Uh, like you said, uh, both of us were a little puzzled by that. Yeah, I mean, I understand the reasoning, and I assume it is because... Rick Bonus wanted to use Nate Schmidt on the second power play, and he wanted to use Logan Stanley on the on the penalty kill. But 
I don't know. I, I didn't love it, and especially I didn't love it because the Jets are a four-line hockey team, Sean. They have been priding themselves on their depth. Their fourth line two games ago was one of their best lines and you know, largely responsible for having a really good effort against the Colorado Avalanche. So, you know, we understand other things are potentially at play and whatever else, whether there's, you know, whether this is a showcase or not remains to be seen as it pertains to Logan Stanley. But uh, I didn't love the decision and, you know, I didn't love that. This is not uh, 2020 hindsight for me. I mentioned this on the pregame show with Kelly Moore uh, on CJOB before the game. I mean, I, I found it a little bit puzzling just like you did. So, and, and just mostly because the Jets are looking for some continuity right now on their forward group, knowing that they're going to have to shuffle some things around with their lines. Uh, so, I mean, I get it. I mean, Logan Stanley's a guy who in the past has done a good job on the penalty kill. His clearing ability is something they'd like to use. Um, you know, his ability to clear the front of the net when he does it can be a factor. But he had a failed clear on the play that kept the play alive and eventually leads to the William Eklund one-timer goal. That's the game winner and the fourth game winner for Eklund on a team that has only nine wins. So uh, good on him for doing so. But uh, that's a situation where if you're Logan Stanley, Sean, and I'm not pinning this on Logan Stanley by any stretch of the imagination here. It's a team effort. But if you're Logan Stanley, you need to get that clear because you're trying to show the coaching staff that you deserve to be in the mix for the six. And you deserve to be in the mix on the penalty kill. And today he was unable to do that. So uh, I'll be curious. You know, I would expect Nate Schmidt to stay in the lineup against you know the LA Kings and in a battle of elite teams. Um, but how else? How this affects the rotation? I mean, we'll see. But I'm also a little bit confused that the Jets didn't go to Declan Chisholm in a game like this today. But I think this, Sean, if you're going to play Nate Schmidt against the LA Kings on Wednesday night, he had to play today. And I actually didn't mind Nate Schmidt's game at all. I thought he was getting his feet moving, uh, unloaded a few shots. He was running the power play at the top uh, with Neil Pionk going into the one-timer slot. Uh, So much like Nate wasn't the problem before he left the lineup, he wasn't the problem tonight. I thought he was pretty steady, and that's a hard job to do. Uh, In terms of the goaltending, I love this decision by Wade Flaherty. I'm not surprised. I mentioned it with Hustler on Friday's episode of uh, Winnipeg Sports Talk that with all of the talk, Sean, about the Jets trying to beat elite teams, well, you play your number one guy against those elite teams. That makes sense to me. Um, And Brassois, even though he takes the hard luck loss, it certainly wasn't on him. He was very solid again. I think 30 saves in the contest. Uh, I liked a lot of his game and as you mentioned that Jets could have been down three nothing in that game were it not for the sharpness of Brassois out of the gate uh, and much like you and I have been talking about for weeks well guess what happens Lauren Brassois is playing roughly once a week now instead of once every two weeks oh and guess what he suddenly found his rhythm and routine and he looks like the goalie that was in the net down the stretch for the Vegas Golden Knights, with one exception. He's not starting the majority of the games. So uh, I thought that was a good call by the coaching staff for sure. Uh, good on Brassois for stacking another strong effort. And we'll see what happens as we move forward here. We know Connor Hellbuck will will get a run of games now coming up You know, in this stretch of... Uh, it's an interesting schedule leading into the 
you know, Christmas holiday break. Uh, now we're going to have to see, you know, again, we'll get into the lines in a second here, but those are kind of my overriding thoughts. And just one quick thing. I know you were diving into the power play at the beginning. Uh, Sean, I actually thought in the first two or three power plays, the Jets were actually better in terms of puck movement. And I would say that even though they didn't score, they generated momentum on at least two of those three. But I thought their last two power plays were back to stagnant and around the perimeter. Yeah, And, and that was... This is very simple. The San Jose Sharks scored on their power play, and the Jets didn't, even though they had you know, two fairly glorious opportunities to, A, first get the game to a lead, and then secondly, to get the game tied. And, you know, looks are good. And, yes, Josh Morrissey rang a clapper off the crossbar, and that was a great chance. But they didn't generate enough opportunities with the game on the line, and there's no way around it. Rick Bonus said it, special teams are the difference in that hockey game. Jets are over 5 and they gave up a power play goal that was the game winner. I mean there's there's no other there's no other explanation in terms of what the differentiating factor was in the hockey game. But I didn't I didn't all to say yes, they had to do more than just produce chances, but I thought early on there were some things to like about the new configuration and then they kind of got into some old habits again uh, in the last two power plays for me. Um, I'm just going to jump into this quickly here because people are asking, and this is a good question. Dallas Paul says, why do teams do the 11-7? Sure. I'm not a coach and just wondering why they do this. I think that for years, you know, a Stanley Cup winning team in the Tampa Bay Lightning yep. was the perfect example of the 11-7 and and how it works. Basically, they had a top nine and they had two leftover forwards for a fourth line, one of them being Pat Maroon. Uh, and what they essentially were doing is they knew that they wouldn't be playing those guys enough that it warranted having uh, another center out there. What it was is because they've got three talented centers, they wanted to run those guys through and get the fourth line out. And the fourth line would always be a configuration of, you know, some centermen, you know, sometimes it was like a little bit more grind. Sometimes they'd put out Steve Stamkos, uh, you know, sometimes they'd put out uh, Barkley Goodrow, right? So you put out Barkley Goodrow and all of a sudden it's a little bit more of a grinding line. All of a sudden you put out Steve Stamkos with that line and then all of a sudden you know, uh, all of a sudden it's got a skill element. You want to know why the big rig had so many big goals in the playoffs. Well, sometimes he's playing with really talented guys who can get him the puck. So what it did was it allowed them to create a fourth line that didn't necessarily have a specific look. It could morph as the game went on and fit whatever situation was out there. And then the other part of that is the seven defensemen that they had. They just had such a deep group of defensemen that you, you, you were able to play seven defensemen. It wasn't a problem. But at times, if you needed to lean on certain guys for specific situations, and Zach Bogosian was a great example there, as was Shen, like kind of like hard-nosed players yeah. that you would just put, be able to put out to kind of like be fresh in certain situations and allow you to defend and bring a little bit of the grind that that team had missed for a number of years. So that's where it works, right? Like the, for, for that reason, the 11-7 and seven was a really, really tough uh, system for other teams to handle when the Tampa Bay Lightning were doing it. Why they're doing it like this in Winnipeg, like I honestly, Ken, like we talked about this. We we had a conversation quickly about this at the uh, December to Dismember party, but I'm at a bit of a loss 
why they would do that in this situation here. Like I get, you know, to your point, Logan Stanley, he put him out. He's got a big stick. They, the, the theory is he's big and strong. He can rough people up. He should be able to shut down passing lanes. Um, but I did think tonight, like if you're Nate Schmidt, you came into this game, there's a little bit of a redemption game, at least as far as how he looked side by side with, with Logan Stanley, like, in my mind, uh, I, I don't need to, I, if they're showcasing them, you know, you mentioned that maybe that's the case. I don't need to see more out of Logan Stanley's game to think that I would, if I'm the coach, I'm putting Nate Schmidt or Declan Chisholm in ahead of him. Uh, at this stage, I'm kind of surprised that they're going in this direction. Yeah. Um, the other part about that too, is like a player like Axel Janssen Fialbi. Um, yeah he'd been playing really, really well, right? So yeah. you get that guy into the game and allow him to be a little bit more of a disruptive force. But maybe they're trying to do what, uh, you know, maybe with Kyle Connor being gone, you automatically say, well, and we saw that on the first line, and we'll get to talking about the first line. Yeah. But the amount of opportunities you have to score goals is just simply going to go down as a team. He's just too good. He scores too often uh, that with him out of the lineup, it's going to limit your opportunities. So maybe the coaches thought they needed to create more scoring opportunities by more so rolling the three lines rather than having the fourth line out there. Um, maybe that's something to do with it. That's the best guess I can give. You know, we should probably get in and dig in a little bit deeper with the coaches. You're going to dig into it right here. But I, I guess what I'm saying is like I've seen what 11 and 7 looks like at its very peak in what Tampa Bay used to do. It has not come close to looking anything like that with the Winnipeg Jets. And there are not the obvious answers of why they do it the way there was with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, and I mean, I would say this before. I think the first time that Scott O'Neill did it, I think it was kind of more in an effort to see if you could get Nikolai Ehlers and Cole Perfetti and maybe even at the time Kyle Connor and Mark Scheifele a couple extra shifts in a period. And I think it actually worked pretty well in that first game. But then they lost a forward and they were down to 10. Um, for me, Sean, I have one other theory. I mean, outside of the obvious one that I mentioned earlier, I think that this was a special teams move. It was Schmidt going to be on the power play. He played right. almost three minutes on the power play tonight. One of the one of the shifts, the second unit went out and they controlled the play for almost you know minute forty, I think, from what I remember. And Logan Stanley, you know, he was only on the penalty kill for forty seconds, so it didn't actually end up working out. But my other theory here, Sean, that I was thinking while you were talking is. Because Josh Morrissey played 30-11 on Sunday night in what was one of his best games of the year, he played a lot of taxing minutes. So today he was down to 24-23. So maybe going 11-7 and had something to do with that. I don't know that for a fact. That's just a theory that I am uh, putting forth. But I agree with you. Like If you are giving Nate Schmidt a chance to show you that he still deserves the job, I don't see splitting time with him. Uh, between you know he playing fourteen fifty four not a bad number but I don't see the you know they didn't see a lot of benefit to the you know just under eleven minutes for Logan Stanley today uh, I'm not saying Logan Stanley can't play again but right now I, I don't think that Logan Stanley has shown enough in this stretch of games to say that he's a better option than Nate Schmidt right now uh, and that's that's just how I feel and um, that's you know I, I said this to, to a couple guys at hockey today. Logan Stanley is in a situation, Sean, and you know you and I have discussed this also. In order for Logan Stanley to show he's an NHL player, he needs to be playing on a team like the Chicago Blackhawks where there are no consequences. He needs to be able to go out and play where a mistake doesn't cost 
uh, you know, potentially cost his team a couple of points in a, you know, in a situation where they're battling for first place, battling for third, battling for a wild card or whatever. Um, right now, it's just it's 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 a scenario where it's just not rolling right now for Logan Stanley. So again, I, I think that right now, a better Nate Schmidt is the better option right now, and he's done nothing. The, the players around him have not shown that he should be a better that they're a better option than him. So I, I think that you know unless they're going to give Declan Chisholm a little bit more of a run here, I think it's Nate Schmidt's job as the sixth defenseman. Until further notice. Okay, I, Ken, I'm going to have to step away from the computer and do something here. I'm going to set you up first, but first, before we do that as well, I wouldn't mind uh, uh, you giving Sweet Lou a shout out if you could. Sure. For the folks who have realty needs they'd like to have met, make sure you let Lou at uh, Royal Page Dynamic Realty know that Kenny and Rennie sent you. You can reach him at 204-791-9971 or at the office, 204-989-5000. His email is lou at louferlin.ca. That's L-O-U at L-O-U-F-U-R-L-A-N.ca. Lou Ferlin, excellent realtor, excellent human being, and excellent supporter of the community, including this podcast. And We are very grateful to have Lou on board. Of course, gotta love sweet Lou. Um, hey, I, I love the uh, I love the people who keep suggesting you should go as Lou for Halloween next year. That would, <laughs> if we do a Halloween show, we should commit to doing uh, outfits. And uh, well, I've already think, got uh, you know we've already got you've Victoria got a good part Rossi of the suit. I've got the glasses. You know, I just have <laughs> to go a little. I have to go a little bit lower uh, on onto the hair, I guess. But there we're, you we're go. pretty close, right down to the wood. Um, hey, so let's go in this direction, Ken. Don't worry about it. I'm just gonna get up. There's something I got to take care of here, but okay, um, I want to set you up. And I just wanted to say, okay, the first line, Gabe Velarde gets in there. I'm just going to quickly yep. say, looked like he really added an element of like control along the boards. I mean, that play where he's on his butt, <laughs> the puck going by, Incredible. and he knocks it out of the air. Big, strong guy. He created a lot of great possession for that line. Uh, but clearly, to me, that kind of seamless. Um, you know, razor sharp offensive passing that we've been seeing between Nick Ehlers, Mark Shifley, and Kyle Connor was not there yet. What were you seeing? Yeah, actually, Sean, I thought that the first line was pretty good for the Winnipeg Jets tonight, and you know, maybe they're though they were maybe not quite as sharp as when Kyle Connor was there, but they they had a pretty good control of the shot attempts and the scoring chances. Uh, on the ice, uh, certainly after two periods, we'll have to double check the folks at Natural Stat Trick a little bit later on. But uh, I really liked what I saw from Gabriel Velarde again, taking another step forward after having you know 19 plus minutes in Sunday's game where he scored the game-winning goal against the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, I see potential uh, for those guys for that trio to really succeed. And you know, having said that, I, I thought before the game, I wasn't, I would, I wouldn't be surprised at some point if Cole Perfetti. Uh, gets a run and maybe Cole Perfetti and Nikolai Ehlers flip-flop lines and you get Nikolai Ehlers back with Vladislav Domestikov at some point here. Uh, but actually, yeah, there we go, Brady. Thanks. Uh, thank you for this, Brady, and good to see you on Sunday as well. Uh, 87% expected goals for for Ehlers, Shifley, and Velarde. Uh, pretty freaking good. And Brady, you're right about that here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I liked a lot of what I, what I saw from them it's obvious Gabriel Velarde is still getting back up to speed, but uh, I actually like the potential for that line. I will be curious to see, uh, you know, Sean, now that you're back, I think I'll be curious to see if Nikolai Ehlers and Cole Perfetti flip-flop because I do think that at some point this might be a chance to, to sort of test out that combination with Mark Shifley uh, 
and Gabriel Velarde. But the one thing I would say, Nikolai Ehlers is really starting to show really good chemistry with Mark Scheifele right now. And the other thing too is that Mark Scheifele likes to play with speed. And you know we know that Cole Perfetti continues to work in his skating. So um, you know I'd be, I'd be curious to see if that, that is something that they try at some point here. But I wouldn't try it right now because of the way that Ehlers is playing with Scheifele. Uh, I like that line a little bit more than you did, I think, Sean. Uh, a lot of you know, a lot of offense created and a lot of zone time, and they didn't give up a whole lot, which is you know, always one of the things that you're looking for. And I, you know, Velarde is a guy who is a really good two-way player. Shifley, we know, has is, got is a really good commitment level this year uh, in terms of his two-way play. So I'll, I'd like to give that line a longer look, but I mean, at, at some point here. And again, this is the first test for the Jets without Kyle Connor, and they only scored one goal. Now, that's not to say that they can't survive without him or they won't score, but today is another day, Sean, where I'm still banging on the drum at some point during this stretch, no matter how long Kyle Connor is going to be out. I think Nino Niederreiter is going to need some time, either with Mark Scheifele or with Vladislav Nemesnikov, because I just think. He is a guy, if you're going to try to, again, I'm not asking Nino Niederreiter to replace Kyle Connor. No one is going to do that with a singular focus. But if you're looking to add offense for a team who's missing a 40 to 50 goal scorer, going to the tapping the guy on the shoulder who has seven 20 goal seasons makes sense to me. But yeah, I am going there as your boy, Bruce. I am. And I also... I don't hate the third line. I love what they're doing, but they haven't produced as much offense together of late. And, you know, the other part too, I think Alex Iafalo is going through a very cold spell. It's now 12 games without a point, one assist in 14. So I think he could benefit from being with Lowry and Appleton as well. And I don't think it's a big drop off, as I've been mentioning. It's not, you know, Alex is not as physical a player. Uh, he's not as natural a finisher, but he's disruptive on the forecheck, and he could really fit with those guys as well. And again, I, someone was mentioning David Gustafson. I mean, Gustafson makes a great play right before to base an Appleton, right? For the one-timer that just misses, I think it was missing the net. But anyways, I, I thought I thought Gustafson was pretty good again here today. Um, I don't agree with uh, Manitoba ball hockey on that assessment that the Gus bus is stalled. Oh, yeah, that's what you're saying. Um, uh, so I, I want to be clear about something. Um, like, the b- breaking up the third line uh, idea, um, it's 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 not something that I don't think you can't approach. Like, at some stage, like, if they're, they're not scoring quite as much as they used to, especially with Kyle Connor gone, more than ever, I think that you may have a case. The, the, the one thing I think that you're doing, Ken, is I think you're kind of cherry-picking this whole thing because when you wanted well, to not. break them up, the fr- I'm not. you are entirely cherry-picking because when you wanted to break them up would have been the worst possible time to break no, them up. No, totally fine. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that those three guys have to be welded together and never taken off a line together ever again. But but I think you're playing a little fast and loose because what you're doing is you're coming in and slowly as as the season is evolving and things are changing, you're you're acting as though this is now why you wanted the line broken up. Th- this is uncool. Oh, that's not what I'm saying at the all. First actually. time that you were petitioning to have that line broken up, that would have been a massive <laughs> mistake. It would have been a massive mistake. Now, if we're in a situation where they can't score goals and the third line is not scoring the way that they used to, and the top line is not able to, you know, produce, then 
then it starts making sense to break that lineup. So I think you're right, but it's kind of like when people say, like, even like a broken clock is right twice a day because <laughs> it goes and it comes rolling around. Like, eventually it'll roll around and they'll need to break that lineup. And you're going to say, see, I've been saying this the whole time. It doesn't mean you were right when you said it at first. And just clinging to it for as long as you can until it makes sense doesn't mean you're right. It means what it means is that you've been wrong until you were finally right, I guess is what I would suggest in that situation. Well, but we, we, don't, we, don't say, always, we don't always agree as it turns uh, out. <laughs> I, I'm here to say. And nor was I banging on the drum saying they should have done it all the, the whole time. That's not what I'm saying. I just said I, there I, can I, be some benefits to it. The way that you tried to convince Jay Bukala that one show, it was it was <laughs> trying to ingratiate your argument. That's that's a pro scout. He wasn't going to fall for it, Ken. Uh, but I do agree in this situation now that I'm not saying do it right now, but I guess where I'm at with Ayafalo kind of having run cold uh, to, for me to like jump in on the first line conversation. I loved a lot of what they did, and I think Brady's entirely right with what he says there. I guess what I was seeing was I'm not quite seeing yet that surgical ability to you know what we saw in that carolina game and what made the difference in that game was just a quick moment where mark shifley goes and finds nick healers and boom it's in the back of the net right and that exists with him it exists between mark shifley and kyle connor uh i don't see it right there with Vlardy right now we shouldn't expect to see it i'm not trying to say that it's unfair we need time to see that line so i agree with you 100 percent. i just think that this is the kind of game that the jets could have won with kyle connor not just because because Kyle Connor has the ability to score goals at a ridiculously high rate, but because that first line has the ability to like pounce on those moments in the game that can quickly turn the game. And I guess those moments I thought were not generated as sharply with Velarde, which we shouldn't expect. Um, but I mean, they, they did draw the penalty. I mean, Shifley oh, had yeah. the puck in the slot. The Hoffman yeah. hook is is gen, it, it's the kind of play that you're talking about. I mean, I agree that it wasn't well, happening no, every single to, time. I mean, me, it was a good to me, pass. The kind of, to me, the kind of play that we're talking about is the kind of offense that that line is able to generate with those guys, where no one sees Kyle Connor coming, no one sees sure uh, uh, Nick Ehlers coming. I mean, Mike Hoffman saw Mark Shifley coming. That's why he was able to get a stick on him. It's, sure. it's, it's a good penalty to take because it's a good opportunity. But I guess what I'm talking about is the the ability for that line to confuse. It's it's a little bit snake charmer, no doubt about it. But the ability for that line to confuse its opponents, I didn't think was there as much today. It was just a far more direct game. We're better than you. We can possess the puck better than you. We're going to grind on you. I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's going to work out eventually. But I just think it's going to take some time to see if it works there. And in the meantime, maybe you do need to go in different directions, right? To get the second line going, the third line going. It's a long roundabout way for me to say, um, for me to say that like, I, I, I think we're getting to the stage where with Kyle Connor out, to survive him being out and we should really have a greater conversation about what we think the jets are going to do to survive that or if we think they can survive it but in in order to do that i do think they're going to have to move things around quite a bit but this again is a really great point by brady who says 87 percent times goals for for 27 55 and 13 pretty freaking good i thought for the most part um that move really paid off for the the team in in that 
respect. It just didn't quite get them over the hump. But hey, if you are looking to pay off high interest credit card or debt, we suggest you go talk to our friends at Cambrian Credit Union about their payoff loan. They can show you how taking out a loan to pay off your debt actually gets you debt free faster and you can save thousands of dollars. Go to cambrian.mb.ca to book an appointment online. Okay, let's get into that conversation right now uh, about surviving Kyle Connor. Uh, are the Jets a team poised to do just that? It, should he be out for an extended period of time? Yeah, and I mean, obviously, that just I mean, I know you're hearing some of the same things as 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 are out there. Uh, you know, there's still some tests to be completed, but it sounds like the Jets. You know, my my colleague Mike McIntyre, the Winnipeg Free Press, is reporting that it's the initial thought is that it's a six to eight week timeline. Even though Rick Bonus wasn't ready to go there after the morning skate. Uh, I was hearing similar information. Elliot Friedman has reported the same, and same with Darren Dreger. So, uh, if the fact that Kyle Connor's not done for the season is a win for the Winnipeg Jets. Now, how long he's going to be out, we'll see. But I think we're pretty confident in that six to eight week timeline, unless something unforeseen pops up on an MRI here. So, um, that's good news for the Jets. Now, again, on the flip side of that, Sean being without a 40 to 50 goal scorer for an extended period of time when it's going to be um, you know, at least a month and a half and potentially two weeks, Kyle Connor might not be back until after the All-Star player break. So that takes them into February. That's a long time to have to play uh, without one of the most important players on the team. Now, it's easy to say the Jets were able to survive without Gabriel Velarde, who missed a quarter of the season as well. So fortunately for them, they weren't missing those two guys at the same time, I would say. But it's a blow. There's there's no getting around that. The Jets are going to have to win more games two to one and three to two, uh, rather than you know be reliant on scoring four or five a game and trying to outscore their opponents on every single night by trying to run up the score. I don't see the Jets changing their style. Um, are they going to be able to... It's hard to make a bold prediction here, Sean, other than we think the structure is sound enough for them to be able to to do more than just tread water. But at the same time, there's no point of reference for this, Sean, because the Winnipeg Jets have almost had Kyle Connor in the lineup on every single night. I think he's missed three games due to COVID since becoming a full-time player. And as we know, Kyle was sour about it it was COVID related. He had no symptoms and it might've cost him his chance to score 50 that year when he had 47, right? So um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting time. Uh, it's not gonna be easy, but I do think the Jets are better equipped. Uh, you know, again, I understand people are saying, I said this last year, the Jets are better equipped to withstand a long, long stretch of time. The Jets had to play a long time without Nikolai Ehlers last year. That was a big blow. Uh, they have other players in the lineup who are going to need to step up their game offensively. There are other players who are going to be moved into roles where where they are able to take on more ice time and responsibility. Uh, Morgan Barron being a great example, whether he stays on the second line, whether he goes to the third line, wherever it happens for him. Uh, I thought he had good legs again today and was, 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 was effective out there again. But is it going to be easy? No. Do I think they can do it? Yes. But it's going to take a special level of commitment because Kyle Connor is an elite finisher in the NHL. So on a team that has tons of depth, Kyle is the most natural finisher on the Winnipeg Jets. So of course it's going to be challenging 
for them to be without him. What do you think? Um, I so I was I had coffee with North End Rick earlier on today, and we had this conversation go. before the news was coming out. And I'd said anything short of uh, a season-ending injury was was good news for the Winnipeg Jets. And this is why I say that I am very confident that the Winnipeg Jets will survive this. Why? Because yeah. I've said this time and time again, the system and the way that the Winnipeg Jets play it uh, is set up to keep them in every single game. Now, look at this. The Jets lose this game, but they're in it. You go to those games where they lost three in a row. They were in those games. This isn't one of those games where they're playing out the string of the clock. Like, never mind how good the Jets have been. And there was that stat that came out. If you, I mean, I think these are always fudging a little bit. If you go back to a very specific date the winnipeg jets have been the best team in the nhl since that very specific date right if you punch it back another three days or something like that it switches to another team or whatever but give the jets credit where it's due but the thing to me that i find amazing beyond that is even in the games that they've lost they've been right there and they could win it right where you'll see a number of other teams and good teams i mean look at the new york rangers the other like they're one of the best teams in the league and they get trounced by the toronto Maple Leafs. So the Jets have done a good job of, of staying in games. Their structure is what allows them to do that. The Rick Bonus system is what allows them to do that. And that Rick Bonus system, what it means is like we've seen in the last couple of games that the heroes don't have to be the upper echelon guys, right? The heroes can be Morgan Barron. The heroes can be Adam Lowry or Nino Niederreiter or Vladimir Nemesnikov. It's up and down this lineup. It can be the defenders. Uh, it can be the goalies. It can be Lauren Bressois. Like This is a team that is capable of winning in so many different ways. Now, so Kyle Connor is clearly a massive weapon, right? If you're going to war and you take one of your biggest guns, if not your biggest gun, it's going to be a little bit harder. But if you still have a lot of ammunition, you're probably going to do well, right? So because of that, I think the Winnipeg Jets, as long as they are sticking to their system, which they've shown every indication they're going to so far this year, I think they'll be fine. I guess... The reason why, if if uh, if Kyle Connor had been out for the entire year, and we heard that he wasn't going to be back until the summer, or something like that, right. then that's a problem. Because I and why I think it's a problem is I think what you're doing now is towards the year getting into the playoffs. Now you're trying to see do do you have a roster that's capable of winning it all, right? And I've said this. Uh, I think that you're kind of on board with this as well but i think the jets need to address the second line center position going into the playoffs and probably a number two or three defenseman if they could go and grab that i think they put themselves in a real good spot to compete with almost anyone in the league but i i think that they need to do that if they don't get that i don't think that they've got the horses to compete with you know some of the upper echelon teams i'm not going to get into naming them you can draw conclusions for yourself but if you lose Kyle Connor, well, then that's another weapon that you simply are not going to replace, right? You take your leading score for the last two years, uh, your leading goal score. Uh, I guess that last year that was Mark Shifley. But you take that player out, and there's there is simply no replacing a Kyle Connor, which I think would have been like to me this would have been the death knell on the Winnipeg Jets Stanley Cup hopes this season if Kyle Connor had been out for the entire year I still think the Jets would have made the playoffs I just don't think they would have been a team capable of going all the way uh the fact that Kyle Connor should be back based on what we're hearing and back in this season would say to me that like still there's work to be done but 
it, it, to me, it's a it's a potential Stanley Cup winning season saved by him still being around. Um, yeah, right on. Quick one here. I think we should get to this because uh, a lot of people have been asking. Just short and quick and to the point for me, NLCC says, Sean and Ken, what are your thoughts on the idea of picking up Jacob Vrana, who's on waivers from the St. Louis Blues? Uh, even though his salary is being split, so the salary cap hit is, I think, lower than one would anticipate. I don't see it as a fit. Vrana, yes, he has produced at different points of his NHL career, um, but I don't know that his is... Yes, he bring would bring some offense, but I don't see him as a great two-way player fit. And obviously, he has been struck... If you're being placed on waivers, you're probably not playing overly well with your team. I think the Jets need to aim higher. Uh, and Sean, you give your thoughts, and then I have a I have a suggestion that came to mind after all the talk about the Pittsburgh Penguins today. I don't think I need to add to it. I, okay. I'm not the biggest fan of it either. Uh, so you you keep going, keep going. Yeah, I mean, there's all the talk about the Penguins, who are obviously struggling here. What about Jake Gensel? Um, into if Kyle Dubas goes into selling mode, and I understand, I don't think they would do it before the All Star break, but. I mean, Jake Gensel, I know he's not a big power forward and he's not a center, but this is a guy who's produced and he is a Stanley Cup winner. I wonder if they would be aiming at someone like that. I, I, I'm with you. I think center is probably the way they're going to go, but what about a guy like Jake Gensel? He's another one of those Minnesota guys. Uh, I think that his dad had coached Nate Schmidt in the past. I know that he's a, you know, a guy who can really score. He's a versatile player, but I wonder if, if he might be a fit at some point. I mean, I've said this before. There was a point last year at which um, we were doing a Stanley, or a Hockey Night in Canada game, and we were um, comparing. We were set to compare. It was a it was a Pittsburgh game, and we were set to compare the career numbers of those players. And this is the one thing I've always said before: is like people are always talking about how uh, unheralded and underrated Kyle Connor is, and it's funny because they've been saying this, and everyone seems to say it. And they've been doing it for like seven years. And it's like, how can a player be unheralded when all anyone ever does is say repeatedly over and over and over again, homogeneously across yeah. the league, that he's underrated? It's like, I think everyone is just like, to me, it's a buzzword at this stage. Don't tell me that anyone around the league doesn't know that Kyle Connor is an extremely dangerous scorer. I think what Jets fans are saying when they say that is they think that he should be brought up in the same vein as a player, like when it comes to goal scoring like a David Pasternak or a uh, Austin Matthews or uh, Connor McDavid. I don't agree with that. I think he's a, a second tier below that. I think that's a when when I hear that from Jets fans, I think that's a Jets fans effort to try and push him into that kind of upper stratosphere of scores in the NHL. You got to be like right there uh, to, you know, going chasing after a Rocket Richard trophy if you're going to get into the conversation with those guys. I don't I think he's a second tier of that and has shown that time and again uh this year he was trying to push his name into that conversation he's not going to get there now because he's going to miss too much time um but if he's unheralded how many people talk about jake gensel the way that J that they talk about kyle connor not even here in winnipeg but across the league doesn't really happen in that game when we were going to trot that out, their stats were almost identical, like within points of each other, within fractions yeah. of point percentage per like points per game. They're essentially results wise, the same player. 
um, in, in what they're able to produce. So, I mean, I think Jake Gensel is the kind of guy who would like, you know, if you put Jake Gensel with Mark Shifley, he's going to shine. Um, but I also do think what you've seen from Jake Gensel and one of the reasons that he's really good. And I think it's the same thing with Kyle Connor. Like, I think Kyle Connor is ultimately a super, super, super high end complimentary player. But for years, he benefited from Blake Wheeler when Blake Wheeler was one of the best setup men in the game. He benefited from Pierre-Luc Dubois, as did Pierre-Luc Dubois benefited playing with him, but from the attention that Pierre-Luc Dubois would get when he was playing on top of his game and driving the net and creating that giant wake uh, for for uh, KFC to pull into. And clearly, he's benefited from his entire career for playing with Mark Shifley. Well, it's the same thing with Jake Gensel because he's had this entire career where he's gotten to play with either Crosby or Malkin, right? Two of the premier guys. I think there was a list of like active players and the most points that they have. Malkin, I think, is third on that list of active players right now. And uh, how many how many points they've produced? It's Crosby first, Ovechkin second. Then I believe it's Malkin, and then I think it's Stamkos. Um, so, so you're talking about two of the highest producing players over you know, over their careers that Jake Gensel has had one of those guys on his line basically the entire time. So the one thing where I think it's maybe a little bit problematic is it's almost too many cooks in the kitchen with only one Mark Shifley, right? If you can find a second line centerman that Jake Gensel goes with, then I think all of a sudden, you know, you pair, you go get a guy who's a solid second line center and your second line ends up being Gensel and, uh, and, uh, you know, you could go Velarde, you could go Perfetti, whoever, right? And then you could bump guys down or whatever. And then if the top line ends up going back to Mark Shifley, Nick Ehlers, and Kyle Connor, well, holy smokes, now you're getting into that territory of that Pittsburgh Penguins team, that one with the HBK line where you've got right. like a third line that's so hard to play against and the depth is just going to be untouchable for you for sure if you can pick up both those players. But I still think in order for that to work, yet what you've got is a whole bunch are really, 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 really dangerous wingers. And again, I go back and I say Vladdy Domestikov has done a phenomenal job stepping in uh, to make sure that that's covered off. He's doing a good job of it, but I think you need like a second-line caliber or if you want like to win the Stanley Cup, you need a Stanley Cup caliber second-line center to be kind of driving the bus with all those wingers would be my take on that. Um, Before we get going here, I mentioned North End Rick, and I just wanted to say I talked with North End Rick quite a bit about the, the party and the technical issues we had, and I very much have to say that I give ourselves the pristine roofing wake-up call. <laughs> we needed to wake it up on that day there. Uh, it's going to get better, people. We promise uh, have to make that happen. Um, and uh, you know what that means. It's time to give North End Rick the pristine roofing wake-up call at one 6289 What a rude awakening that would be at 1.30 in the morning. Thanks so much for everybody who's sticking with us through this time. But hey, for all your exterior needs, your roofing needs, pristine roofing, they're the people to call. So call North End Rick or give pristine roofing a call at one 237 7663 Okay, Ken, we got to get going here. Johnson Group got you covered. Play of the game. What do you got? Yeah, actually, I'm giving you the the stick taps for this one, and I was with you. But, uh, yeah, Cole Perfetti had a great back check in the first period where he kind of dove and prevented a Justin Bailey opportunity. Uh, uh, For me, that was a great example of the got you covered. And, you know, honorable mention, obviously, to Lauren Brassois, who is continuing to show his teammates that he has them covered. 
but yeah, I think that the Perfetti uh, play uh, is the one that I like the most in this scenario here. Yeah, there. You know what? There's no point in me like digging it deeper. That was really, really good. Uh, and I just thought like a great example of when you've got like you're not rookie right but when you've got a sophomore player who's known as not being the fastest skater out there and known as being an offensive guy and he's breaking up plays like that with that kind of effort it's just another one of those things that i think it's really easy for a team to get on board uh with with just the idea of being ultra competitive when that guy's doing that right like yeah you you can see it around the league there was a couple times tonight even san jose as good as they're playing there are some times where guys would turn around they'd make really really lazy plays that doesn't happen often with the winnipeg jets which again is why they're they seem to be in all these games that they're in and that to me is just another example of the mindset of the winnipeg jets entirely it's the system that's got you covered but on this time here no doubt cole perfetti entirely had uh the winnipeg jets covered in that case and hey do you run a small business in canada look to canada's number one employee benefits plan chambers plan to give you a competitive edge chambers plan is the simple stable smart choice for over 30,000 businesses countrywide. Visit chamberplan.ca to learn more. And ladies and gentlemen, that was the Johnson Group, the Kenny and Rennie OGs got you covered. Play of the game. Time to move on now, Ken, to the keg save of the game. Yeah, save of the game. Uh, I was I thought it was going to be the pad save off Mike oh. Hoffman, but the, yeah. toe, the, coat, the toe kick, but he made an even better save on Mikhail Granlund during the third period. Uh, when he thought he had him stuffed on the backhand. And I really like that save by Lauren Brassois. It was another great, you know, he made it look easy, even though that was a very athletic save. But because of his positioning, I thought that was a pretty impressive stop right there. Um, I'll actually go with the first one. I thought like it's yeah. a technically harder save to make. Like it, it's a reactionary save. And basically that's one of those goals that like the player puts it in the perfect spot. Like there, there was no better place for the player to put that puck for Hoffman to put that puck in that situation. It's the kind of goal that should have gone in. It's the kind of goal that the, the, that your, your, your goaltender shouldn't be making. And I don't know how reactionary it was. I just think it was like, we always give credit to Connor Hellebuck for being big and boring. I think in that case, that save is made because Lauren Brossois positioning is so great in that case. Uh, that it gets done. Uh, we should just quickly talk, uh, uh, and we can't get too deep into it because we've got to hand out the keg save of the game from last show. But, I mean, it's you touched on it earlier on in the show, but Lauren Bressois really, really kind of hitting his stride. It almost makes me think, Ken, that if he gets back into this and he keeps playing like that, we know that we know that there's no end to the story other than Connor Hellebuck is going to be the guy who carries the weight. We know that Lauren Bressois wants to be that guy. It's not going to happen for him here. The Winnipeg Jets have like doubled down and extended Connor Hellebuck. So Connor Hellebuck, it is his crease, not just now, but for years to come. Um, it makes me wonder at some point if Lauren Bressois is not this year, but if he keeps playing like this, if he's potentially playing his way out of town and the Winnipeg Jets would at some point be able to get a pretty sweet return for him like I'm starting to almost look at Lauren Brassois as being like well maybe just maybe this guy is just like a great asset that they've grabbed because if he plays so good to the point that the rest of the league is looking and saying this guy shouldn't be a backup goaltender it's great 
to have that option. But I also do think from an NHL perspective and like honoring your players, if Lauren Rousseau feels that he wants a shot to go somewhere and be a starting goaltender, the Jets would almost owe it to him at that stage. This is a down the road thing. But I guess my thought was, well, if Lauren Brassois did that last game and then this game and then the next game and the next game and the next game and the next game, what happens if he just keeps hitting all his spots? Well, what happens is nothing happens. It's still Connor Hellebuck's crease. Uh, but you would think because we know what he wants, that t- style of play would take him somewhere and it's somewhere that I think the Jets could benefit. Anyways, just yeah, a quick I- thought on that. I wouldn't trade Lauren Brassois if the Jets have designs on being a championship team. I know what you're saying. And if they get blown away by an offer by a team like, let's say, the Carolina Hurricanes, who's struggling uh, to find consistency in the pipes, I understand where you're coming from. But I think that for if the Jets have designs on a long playoff run, uh, I don't know that Not they can trade. Not well, this But he's going to be... You, you, he only signed the one-year deal, though. So well, yeah, I mean, he's I, got so, pending sorry, UFA. So that, yeah. sorry, that's what I mean. I, I I think that he is definitely playing his way into becoming a more of a starting. Yeah, you know, have a chance of being a one A one B kind of guy. I just don't think the Jets can afford to move him at the deadline for a for an asset because then what happens if Connor Hellbuck? You're going to roll with Colin Delia as your number one down the stretch. I mean, that would be a risky proposition for me. But I think Brassois, yeah. to your point, is that he is definitely playing his way towards his long-range goal of becoming a number one guy. And we yeah. know it's not going to be here because of the extension. You're 100% right there. Yes. Sorry, I, I, I messed that up. I, I I was operating under the thought process that he had a two-year deal. I forgot about that. What I meant, I was not suggesting for a second to trade him in season. That's not how it went. I guess what I was saying is it, the, the point I make still stands. Like Lauren Brassois, I think, is, is playing his way into being a starting goaltender if he keeps doing what he's doing in this situation we just know that that cannot be here anyways and they can trade his rights before july 1st if they you know if they find a way to get a draft pick like some some of the other people like prior to letting him out on free agency that's a way to maybe get that asset that you were touching on yeah no doubt um okay uh the keg uh so this was good both the keg uh save of the game and the lamplighter were won by people who are at the party and it's my pleasure to announce right now uh that the keg save of the game winner from last game is tracy okranick tracy you know what to do uh direct message me at s and sean reynolds give me your full name give me an email address and i will send you your 50 dollars gift certificate uh, to the keg, uh, any of their three locations in the city, each location finer than the last. Uh, and that's why, ladies and gentlemen, you should be sharing with us your keg save of the game because you do that and you're automatically entered to win that $50 gift certificate, which the keg has kindly and generously donated for every show that Kenny and Rennie do this season. So congratulations, Tracy O'Kranick. Great job. Moving on to the TCB Lamplighter of the game, Ken. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's got to be the William Eklund one-timer. I mean, honorable mention, you know, two, I guess the other two goals that were scored in the game. And for Justin Bailey, Sean, this is a thrill. The guy hadn't scored in the NHL in over five years. So (laughs) um, impressive job by him. I thought he had great speed out there uh, at various times. And yeah, I mean, the goal, the Jets did a nice job of scoring. But to me, it's... It's got to be the the game winner has to be the has to be the lamplighter today. Yeah, I know that I know that there's uh I know that there's sometimes people who just feel that 
they have to give the lamplight right. to the Jets. Uh, I, th- to me, in this case, I mean, it's great that Brendan Dillon returns sure. to the tank and he scores, and he scored a lot of goals there. We both talked about this. I know that there's a little bit of a screen uh, by Vlad Nemesikov, but I look at that, and this is just, to me, Mackenzie Blackwood whiffing on this puck. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a wrist shot from the point uh nhl goaltender should be able to snag this in this case it was not redirected maybe a player got in his eyes for a split second but it was in and out of his glove uh like to be honest here if you want to get into it like a should be worried we'd be worrying about the jets producing without kyle connor this very easily could have been a two nothing game um if that goal doesn't go in and i don't think that goal should have gone in it was a bit of a freebie for the jets no one in this chat room would be suggesting that lauren brassois had a good game tonight if he'd been letting one let in right. a goal like that so um so yeah i think you got to go in the direction that you were talking about anyways that's ken's and my lamplighter of the game uh, you should share with us your lamplighter of the game. Well, why? Well, because you do. You're automatically entered to win a frosty, delicious eight-pack of lamplighter Ambrielle brought to you by our friends at Trans Canada Brewing Company. If you can't wait for Kenny or Renny to gift you your own eight-pack, you can head on down to Trans Canada Brewing Company, which I will be doing tomorrow. Um, gonna go have a nice a nice little uh wednesday afternoon with johnny lou and his camera guy and myself my camera guy colin ken you were invited you're not going to be able to make it there but uh uh we like uh, hey i've liked it since johnny lou got to town great guy uh we always try to get together and have a little christmas get together at soiree we're gonna do that tomorrow at tcb it's gonna be entirely great and also we should mention that our next event at tcb is what date ken January 22nd, right? Yep. January 22nd, a Monday between the Winnipeg Jets and the Boston Bruins. Uh, Tickets, uh, we will get you that link, Uh, but tickets are available, I believe, as of right now. I'm just going to say this. Uh, If you were at that party, you know how good of a time it was. We're going to make sure that it's like that again. That was an absolute blast. I had so much fun. Got to meet so many people from the party there. Again, I want to thank everyone who came. Uh, if you hadn't checked it out, uh, come check out the next one. If you were there at the last one, you know how good the food was, how good the drinks were, and how good of an atmosphere, and how much fun that was. So you should come join us again. But January 22nd, same way you got your tickets last time on Eventbrite, we're going to be doing it all again. I, I was trying to come up with some working titles. Ken, I've got like <laughs> January for the fanuaries. I don't know. I don't know. That's not very good anyone who has ideas for the names what we should name it we'd love to hear it but other than that uh time now to say our lamplighter from the last game and that would be mary jane who was at the party and ken says had to leave a little bit early but mary jane you have won a frosty delicious eight pack of lamplighter amber ale brought to you by our friends at transcanna brewing company direct message me at sn sean reynolds and send me your full name and send me your address and i will send you a voucher for your very own Frosty Delicious 8-Pack Flamplighter Amber Ale brought to you by our great friends at TransCanada Brewing Company. Ken, I don't have anything else. Uh, the floor yeah, is I yours. Do. If you want to uh, just it. one quick one. Uh, oh, you know, we're thinking Marshall. about Marshall Patterson and his mom, Sandra, who's uh, dealing with some health issues right now. Uh, we know it's, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, um, fighting back for cancer. And right now, Sandra's dealing with something. And we're just thinking about Marshall and his entire family right now. 
Yeah, yeah. I hate the term friend of the show. I just say like Marshall's just a guy who's grown into a great friend that we met through the show. Uh, phenomenal guy. Love chatting with him. Uh, and we've done this before. The Kenny and Rennie community has always done such a really good job of reaching out to each other when we've gone through these tough times. Uh, Marshall's going through that right now. So please, people, uh, give him your thoughts. Uh, give him a bump. Uh, he deserves it. Great guy. Uh, all the best to you, Marshall. Um, stay strong, buddy. Uh, that's it for us, everybody. Time for us to shut this down. Before I do go, I want to say if you appreciate the conversation happening in this space, please, please appreciate uh, our sponsors who fight to keep the conversation going in this space for us. That's Vittorio Rossi, Cambrian Credit Union, Sweet Lou Ferlin, Pristine Roofing Company and their wake-up call, the Johnson Group, the Kenny and Rennie OGs, and of course, the Keg and Transcanter Brewing Company. Thank you so much to them. Thank you to all of you. Uh, boy, you sure make us feel like a million bucks away. Everyone came out to that show and that you're here tonight sharing your time with us despite the fact that it's 1.50 in the morning. Uh, you guys are the best, the absolute best. Thank you so much for everything you do. Great job tonight, Ken. We will chat with everybody after the Winnipeg Jets play the Los Angeles Kings. Until then, bye-bye. <laughs>